This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Heather Caro. And I'm Father John Rutten. And we are broadcasting today from St. John Paul II Parish here in Harrisburg, South Dakota. Go JP2! Feast day. We just celebrated. We got to move. So some people might not know this, but if it's your patronal feast day, you can move it from the week to a weekend, not Is like that far how away. You did it. Yeah. And so we moved from Thursday to Sunday, and then we invited our bishop, uh, newly. And, you got well, the bishop. The bishop, de Groot, came out and celebrated the feast day with us, and we got a new parish chalice, so he blessed the chalice for us and uh, made his well, first pastoral visit. Great pictures. So, yeah, so you should check awesome. out John Paul II. Uh, St. John Paul II Catholic Church is where you're at. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of JP2s uh, on Facebook, but you'll find a lot of fantastic pictures. Yeah, it looked yeah. like a lot of fun. We've we've been so blessed with our bishop. Oh, yes. Well, and we've had some great interviews this morning, and so I'm going to do a little Oh, my housework. gosh. Were they amazing or what? I know. I, yeah. I, it's I, like four for four. That I, was, I kept thinking about uh, Heather Sawyer from before and Kara. I was just like, oh I need God. a box of Kleenex, Father. Yeah, you do. You, <laughs> if, when you're, if you're listening in your car right now, you can't <laughs> see it, but I get to watch Heather like, like, on the verge of tears. I can see him just sitting there. Yeah. But we had Jay Jorgensen and Dan Voss on earlier. If you missed their fantastic interviews, go to realpresenceradio.com or you can check it out on the app. We always upload all of our podcasts and you can just pick which interview you want to listen to. So people are going to be looking up July 29th on the podcast because that was part one of Father John Rutten's story. And we're going to head into part two of Father John's story right now. And so um, after the show's over, not before, not during, but after, you can go listen to July 29th and Father John's first segment. So second segment, let's do a recap where we left off. Yeah, we uh, basically, I had a great life, loved my life, but I loved drinking a lot, and it <laughs> caught me, uh, turned me upside down, really had a, a difficult moment of coming to, and um, by God's grace, some people led me to treatment, and there uh, met Jesus Christ as a presence that I couldn't see, like with hair and sandals, but as the one like uh, that radiated something changed in me inside that place. Uh, and so from that change, you know, it's like Dan just talked about when he was talking about being in bed and having that dream. And I'm like, that's what happened to me, <laughs> you know, but I was sitting in a chair at a treatment center and a pastor was there and da, 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 da. So, yeah. So, uh, it, when we got out and went to, I went, I started going back to the sacraments at Christ the King in Sioux Falls and was introduced to some people who also shared this same struggle, what is the chances that like, I'd end up right in their path the first time I go to Mass? And so uh, <clears throat> what, I, what I recognized then, so then I took this year and a half journey of, well, two years to make it just clean, of sort of between this happening and then entering seminary. And in this time, the thing that happened to me, this event that happened to me, this like presence, I guess, I don't know how else to say it, that it just like pervaded me in a way and it just kept like moving into all of my life. And it just moved, as I moved through the days, this sort of place of reference just grew. Uh, 
And this overwhelming awareness that like I'm loved, that you are here with me, that I belong to an incredible world was something I could access. Uh, one of the ways I could access it is the Cathedral of St. Joseph in Sioux Falls has a little chapel, the Sacred Heart Chapel in the back of it. And I could go in there and with the Blessed Sacrament, Eucharistic Adoration, and I could just sit down inside that church and I would put myself back in the place of what happened to me. Like in my mind, I'd be like, oh yeah, you're sitting on this chair. Yep, you're talking to Jesus. What are you talking about? And at some point in this conversation, it just would like come again. Hmm. Like I could access it. Um, and in a way, I'd just sit in this. Now, what I now know is consolation, consolation, warmth, awareness of God's love. Uh, and it would just like hour and a half go by. Like, well, that's strange. And because it helped me, because it was so uh, much a part of my my sustenance, I just kept going and uh, putting myself into that place. Uh, another thing that happened when I was in that treatment center, when this, this thing happened, two questions occurred to me. Number one, immediately I was curious, I, I, who are you, God? And who am I? And so this two years was really a long search of like, who are you, God? I mean, I know the Catholic Church and I believe the church and stuff, but like, who are you that did this to me? Like, who are you? Uh, it was so mysterious, so unexpected, so different than what I was anticipating. And then who am I? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. who am I that you would love me so much? Like, why me? Why me? Especially when you start seeing how many people suffer from alcoholism and you see the ramifications that this has in people's lives and you see the difficulties people are growing up. And I just kept thinking, why me? Why would you love me this much? And there were a couple of times where I was brought back to places where uh, I had previously been like in my old life, in my old mm -hmm. things. And uh, I would just like be overwhelmed with this awareness uh, and the the words would come back, see, I make all things new. You know, and I could just be standing here in this place and like have this awareness of this man that was so broken and so full of himself and so thought he had the answers and so thought he didn't need God. And, uh, and then here I am, like, what has happened to me? See, I make all things new. And so these moments of consolation, I mean, I didn't know what any of this was. My parents grew up charismatic. So, I mean, I had a sense of like speaking in tongues and, and praying in the spirit and stuff, but not this. Mm -hmm. This just happened in an ordinary way. I didn't plan to like have his outpouring of love and consolation happen to me standing at the grocery store, <laughs> you know, where I looked over and saw the bottle of vodka that I normally would have yeah. picked up. And I'm like, why am I free to not pick that up? Right. Uh, so moments like this just kept like growing into my life. And I remember one of the things that struck me most was I was standing outside. I smoked at the time, you mm -hmm. know, just another way to uh, fill the uh, needs. And I'm outside at this house that I'm living at at the time and I'm smoking a cigarette. And I look across the street and there's this massive tree. And I've been there for, I think, mm, I don't know, I was living there for maybe six months before this all happened. So I had been outside on that porch a lot. And for the first time in my life, Heather, it was like the tree was alive, like breathing. I mean, it was like 
I don't know. It, it was it was like I saw the tree for the first time. Hmm. And I remember sitting there thinking, what is this? I mean, I don't, you know, you, you watch the Chronicles of Narnia, you watch like, yeah. you know, and you, and you realize, I don't know, there's a sense of like, somehow I didn't enter any door, but right now I just entered Narnia. Like I just entered a mysterious world right now. What is that tree? I can't explain it. It was like breathing and like I could, but it was just normal. It was just normal. It, nothing really changed. What changed? Me. And my union with God and my union with this world that I live in was more one. And in a sense, it was the first time that I thought, oh, maybe this is what St. Francis was doing with the animals. He wasn't just an animal lover. Like He had this, this awareness of created things. He had this union in a way that it just was symbiotic. So that was a real mark for me. And my friends at that time, though, um, that were given really helped me clean up my life. There was a ton of work to do. It wasn't just fun and lollipops and living (laughs) with Jesus. Yeah, you didn't just go from treatment into skipping down the road, enjoying trees. No, the reason I was in that chapel is because I, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm totally afraid. I was racked with fear. Fear. I was so afraid of so many things. Uh, and it first began to show up at work. I got a job at Muscular Dystrophy Association, and I didn't think I was qualified to do it. I really did not. And I just had these people, (laughs) some friends of mine keep saying, you need to apply, you need to apply. Uh, Jen Burke was her name and she is her name. And she just said, you need to apply. And her sister-in-law worked there. And so I applied, but it put me in a place, and they accepted me, but it put me in a place where I had to wrestle with all of this stuff of my inadequacies, of my belief that I couldn't do it. And this sort of, you know, in regard to relationships and faith, like God's grace was doing incredible work, but it was very tenuous it was very difficult to get that honest. But in the end, I found one person I trusted totally. Mm. And I began to let them be a greater influence in my life than my own thinking. And I realized I needed someone who thought differently than me to get out of the thinking that was keeping me trapped. The stinking thinking. The stinking thinking. <laughs> and then a group of people that sort of helped me. And when you heard the Canyon people talk, I mean, in a way, I realized what that group of people did for me, even though they didn't know they were doing it, and the need to be in fellowship with people that you can grow in your honesty with. And so this really was a huge part of this two-year period of time. And uh, I... I just began to pray and I put my trust in. I went to a koinonia retreat, which was really helpful. And I realized like, oh, there's these people that I'm friends with actually go on retreat. And I started going to the Abbey of the Hills and just loving the Abbey of the Hills and the monks and the silence and the prayer. Um, So there was a lot of things that I just was open to. Whatever you guys are doing, I want to do because I want what you have. And so I just availed myself to a lot of different things. Some things were helpful. Some things weren't. But one of the most helpful things was in my daily life when these deep things came up, I had someone I could bring them to the light with and begin to work on them. And then I went back and I did the hard work of looking at my life and where was I afraid and how I had to learn to give that to God. And the problem was in front of fear, in front of resentment, in front of self-centeredness, I thought I was the one that could fix it all. Yeah. Instead, I say, you know what, Lord, I can't even fix my problems like here. 
And then confession began to make total sense. <laughs> confession isn't my place to go make myself better. Confession is the place that God makes me better. <laughs> come to me, you who are labored and burdened. Don't come to me as a slot machine to fix your problem. Come to me as a father. Give yourself to me. You're good and you're bad. You're bad too. Yep, yep. It was so hard to figure out, like, you mean you want the bad stuff too before I fix it? See that? That's the problem with me. You mean you want my bad stuff too before I fix it? Yes, my son. You're my son. Come to me. And see what this embrace will do for that bad stuff. Right? And the stuff that isn't going to go away, don't worry. Look at the stuff that is going away. I'm changing you. See, and I went with my order of things. I want you to fix this, 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 this. And then he'd fix number nine. And I wouldn't, give a, I wouldn't even pay attention to it. And I'm like, but one isn't gone yet. And he's like, well, that's not the one I wanted. And I just had to grow in my ability to do this. But these people were so helpful in this journey to me understanding uh, how to do it. You know? And then I just had to trust this experience. It is better for me if I go and pray. It is better for me if I avail myself to friendship. But then in this friendship, they'd like leave me out. They'd go out to eat or something, and then they'd leave me out. And I'd be yeah. like, oh, they don't like me. <laughs> oh, man. I'm Even not. as adults, we feel that way, isn't it? Is it crazy or what? Yeah. So yeah. that uh, beautiful gift. <laughs> Absolutely. So why I'm listening to your story, and we hear about God using the broken. So can you talk into that a little bit on why? Well, I think it's through the broken that you see the redeemed. You know, it's not just that bro God works through broken people. It's yeah. that through someone who has been broken and redeemed, you are, are given uh, a gift of hope. So when I meet someone who has had my same journey and they're not there anymore, it gives me hope. And I'm like, well, if you can get out, then maybe there's still possibility for me. But if we've never seen that, it all remains an intellectual process, even if it's just a book I'm reading, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. like, yep, reading it. Oh, yep. If I do this, 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 I can get better, better, better. But if I need a person who says, oh, yeah, I used to be like that. I'm not now. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, you are real. There's hope. So I think it produces hope in a person. And what you realize is hope is the fruit of faith. Hope is the fruit of the fact that I know it can happen now, so therefore it can happen in the future. And so it's really faith, my belief that God is at work in my life right now, that is the domino that moves all those other people. And what you don't realize is that person that came to you is a present person, is a present instrument of God, is a present flesh that is continuing the work of Jesus Christ in this world. But at first, you just think it's a person. Mm -hmm. And then later on, you're like, wait a minute. Is this you, God? <laughs> you said you were present in the body. Is this the body of Christ? Is this what it means that you're still here in this world today? Yeah, very much alive. Oh, my gosh. And it just kind of is a journey you have to take, and it just grows in you. So one who has been broken, you know, there's the book, The Wounded Healer. So one who has been wounded, you know, you have the ability then to understand other people's journeys. You have the ability to understand a little bit more of how to get to them. Um, you know when to trust in your own work. And, oh, it's always God's work. But, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we push grace. We want great. We want it to happen now, but grace isn't ready for it. And you just got to be patient. You know, you just got to trust God. 
Because um, you're saying that this process was two years for you. Yeah. Well, this, yeah, this process of like this real heavy, deep work of getting honest, uh, you know, and it's, it's work like this. I remember I was laying on the couch and I, someone called me and they wanted to go out, you know, here, this is the thing. Isn't it funny? I'm, I'm upset, wounded, alone. They leave me out, you know, and then someone calls me the next day and I don't want to go out with them, but I'm afraid (laughs) to tell them. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is like the schizophrenia of, of us being human. <laughs> I'm not invited and I'm mad, and then I'm invited and I'm mad, you know, because I wanted that person to invite me. You know, just we're crazy, are we not? We are. So very... we got to get honest with ourselves about this, or we'll never be free. We'll be like ping pinballs, just like doop, 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 doop in this world. But when we get honest with ourselves, we can grow in our ability to allow those that, that game to be played in a way in which we know what's going on. Even if we can't control it, we can say, oh, here's that thing again. Yeah. And so uh, they call me up. They want me to go out. I don't want to go out at that time. And I lie to them so that I don't go out, so that I don't have to go out. And I hung the phone up. And because of this work I'd been doing, I'm like, you can't live that way. Mm. You're going to drink again if you do this. Mm. You know, not this, but if you keep living this, you're going to drink again. So I called the person up. I said, you know, this is going to sound really strange to you, but I lied to you. I actually... Uh, it's, it don't have these things going on. I am just laying right here on the couch right now, and I don't want to move. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that moment was so important. I'll never forget that moment. In the littlest things, be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. And so I just, that kind of work had to be done in this two-year period of time. And I came across, a couple of things happened, started happening towards the end, was in this encounter, the... Uh, there was a clear call, go to the seminary. And I trusted everything else that sort of was spoken to my heart in that moment, but this go to the seminary, I was like, what? And I came across this uh, book in December 2005, Pope Benedict XVI wrote, God is love, Deus Christus est. And in it, I just read the first few lines. He says, uh, um, Christianity is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. Heather, I'm not sure what's in this, but I'll never forget this first page. I've read it, but I've read this first page a thousand times. When I read that, I thought, how does an old German Pope living in Italy know what happened to me in Canton, South Dakota. And I knew I had to go talk to Father Mason, the vocation director. Because if Jesus is real, then he's the one who has called me. And if he wants those doors to close, he'll close them. Mm -hmm. And so I went to fill out the application for the seminary, and there was a great temptation in me to make that application look like what I thought they wanted it to look like. Right. And to leave out all of the mess. Yeah. And I just knew you can't live that way. But it takes a lot of trust to put yourself into a position to say, this is what's really been my life. And I just knew, though, I got to put all of it in there. And then if they think this isn't for me, then great. And so I put all of it in there and I went and met with Father Mason 
And by the time we were done, he was like, so do you think you could start in a few months? And I'm like, what? <laughs> Did th- you read it all? You didn't yeah, read it all. <laughs> I thought he was going to send me for a pastoral year in Denver. You know, they were starting to do pastoral years. And I thought, oh, yeah, pastoral year would be great for me. That's what I need, you know. <laughs> and, and he's like, nope. And we began the journey. And so it's been a, it was a beautiful journey, a really intense 18 months to two years. But uh, this presence that reached me just kept taking me along. It kept filling me in places. It kept surprising me. It kept giving me hope. And I think it's a good reminder that it's a journey. Mm. I mean, uh, you look at somebody who's uh, very spiritual, you know, and I'll use my mother as an example because she's, you know, one of those cornerstones of my life, you know, and you think, I hope to be like her someday. You know, I hope I have the faith and the knowledge and, you know, everything that she has, but it's been a journey for her too. Mm. It's always a journey. <laughs> yeah. Just when, are you going to stay on the path or not? Yeah. And it's easy to always look at the people that are ahead of you and to think you should be where they are. Yeah. I always found it's helpful to have someone ahead of me that makes me desire what they have. And then it's helpful to someone that I'm helping. Somebody that's oh, yeah. back where I started. Somebody, you know, and it helps me just kind of keep a balance of, yeah, my life is pretty good. I've really been healed. God's really changed me. Da, da, da. And then like, oh, but I still got work to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. don't, don't be loafing it. And, and really it was a surprise because when I got to the seminary, then literally when I got to the seminary, that whole journey changed. And this deep presence, this profound consolation, the ways in God, it ended. Hmm. It literally ended when I started seminary. and uh, So the same struggles that you had within yourself, um, being the alcoholic, the troubles and things that you would wrestle with. Yeah. Are they still there today? Certainly. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that surprised me was uh, I used to have these like huge emotional breakdowns in work when like it just would get too much. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. well, what I discovered when I was at muscular dystrophy by calling this person and asking for help, what would happen is I'd get a phone call, I'd get an email, and then someone would come in all at the same time and they would want something from me. Mm-hmm. And I ha- had this belief that somehow if I didn't provide them what they needed and do it perfectly, that like I was a failure or I wasn't doing my job or, you know, there was, and so the way, and I think I can see now that like the evil one was at work. And so he could just like send in enough things and I would just go crazy. And I remember before I got sober, uh, there were times where I would have, uh, my phone would blink, you know, how your phone blinks when you get to the office and you know, someone's in there Mm -hmm. and Heather, I couldn't answer it. And an email would come in and I literally would be frozen petrified in front of this email I wouldn't blink, but I knew who it was from and I would have an idea of what they were going to ask. And I I couldn't move. Couldn't move. I'm not like being hyperbolic or, you know, this isn't hyperbole. Like I couldn't move. Totally petrified with fear. And those are just little ways. So today, you know, that can still happen. I can have something come in from one direction, something come in. It's actually worse because the phone, there's seven ways someone can reach me on this phone. (laughs) Yeah. I used to never give my cell phone out. And I'm like, well, what does it matter? They reach me in six other ways. You know, <laughs> I still only give it out at certain times. But, uh, and, and so th- those are kinds of ways. But I've learned, okay, in that moment, Lord, I know you're here. Lord, I don't have to. God, God never rushes. This has been a huge help. God never rushes. God never pushes. There's time. 
And so I can just say, you know, I'm going to leave that and I'm going to get to it down the road. Or I got a couple other things to do. I'm not going to get to that phone call right yet. And maybe I'm on the other side now. I don't like do things. Yeah. And maybe I need to get more like that, but it's just the way I've learned how to manage that stuff that, so those are the ways in which fear, it was fear. I was afraid. And so underneath all of those problems is just fear, self-centeredness, um, greed, you know, dishonesty. Well, and what I'm hearing from, too, from you too is that you are being more gentle with yourself. Yeah, yeah. You just have to be like, <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great way of saying it. Um, what what did a uh, tender? I don't know. A year or two back, I started getting on this word tender. Like, mm-hmm. I have learned to be tender with myself, and in now I got a lot of work to do. So there's a lot of people that are <laughs> listening to this. Yeah, the staff they're like, "What? That guy isn't tender, <laughs> or that he, he doesn't he doesn't what? wait, you know?" But yeah, you do. You just have to say, and and I think tender with those places that I'm wounded still, or tender. You know, mm. you can say wounded or sin or whatever. You know. Tender with those places where I'm not yet who God wants me to be. And usually I want to hide those or I want to fix those as opposed to give those. Yeah. I need to give those to the Father. And I remember one time, not too many, I was maybe four or five years ago, I st- stopped doing the examine prayer, mm-hmm. uh, the prayer, you know, the daily thing. And what I caught was the reason I was stopping doing it is because in it, you're really called to look at yourself and ask for change. But I was interpreting that as if I admitted I had these problems, then I had to change them. And I realized I didn't have the power to change them. So I stopped doing the prayer because I didn't want to see it. Well, that's not the, the examine prayer. The examine prayer is, Holy Spirit, be present to me. God, change me. Jesus, give me a path again tomorrow that I can yeah. follow you. That's that's not me. That's not me. That's well, because so many me. times I'm like, I'm already too tired. I I can't. I can't. Yeah. I'm already too yeah. tired. Yeah. Whereas if you can just allow it to be self knowledge, ah, oh, this is where I'm in need. Be tender with that place and say, Lord, here I am. The good of me and the bad of me, uh, and that's why I think the Serenity Prayer is so helpful for anyone. Mm. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Let that just seep in. And in our culture today, I think that's the thing. Let that this, accept the things I cannot change. And now the courage to change the things I can. Mm-hmm. You can pick that phone back up and tell that guy the truth. Yeah. The courage to do the things that I can. You know, that's... And the wisdom to know the difference. And what's the two words that are the most important in the whole prayer? God grant. Mm. And that's how it begins. God grant me. He will give. He is a father. He will give. He will give. But he will give in order of his providential plan for what is good for us. Um, and yeah, it's good to to be on this journey and grateful for sobriety and in a miraculous way, a miraculous way. Today, I celebrate my 16th anniversary of being sober. Are you kidding today? 
Congratulations. Thanks. That's unbelievable. Yep. And I don't know what... Uh, I'd say i am also been sober of drugs, but uh, when you go into the treatment center, they, get, <laughs> they give you a whole bunch of drugs <laughs> to bring you down. So I don't know what that birthday is. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's today. Is, and I didn't know us. My brother, Father Paul, sent a message to me today, and I was like, oh my gosh. I'm going to be on the radio and continue to share this witness of how God has helped me. And you know, an interesting thing, I, I, I met someone who is a, one of the leaders at the treatment center uh, about seven years ago. And I've always wanted to tell them that I'm grateful for everything they did, but that I really believe my long-term sobriety is because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I met him and I'm like nervous. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want to be, I, and I told him this. And do you know what he said to me? I bet about half the people who have long-term sobriety would say the exact same thing. And I thought, it's not an accident they bring that pastor into the treatment center to talk about Jesus. Or your higher power. (laughs) (laughs) So somebody who is struggling right now, what's the one thing you would tell them? Oh, my gosh. Uh, (sighs) Accept the help. Accept the help and Pray for willingness. Amen. Ah. <laughs> okay. Pray for willingness. And then if you want a second addendum, uh, accept the help. Accept you know, it's really hard to accept the help. Beautiful. But there, these people that want to help are not out of nowhere. God has sent them. God has sent them. Father John, thank you for sharing part two. Part three is going to be seminary, correct? That's correct. All right. So if you missed part one, it was July 29th. You can go back and listen to part one of Father John Rutten's story. And um, today we just finished part two, so you can go and listen to that on our realpresenceradio.com. We have one more guest, not to say the... Last is least, but he is doing amazing things in our diocese. And so I'm really excited to get to talk with him next with um, what he's up to these days. So we'll be right back with more Real Presence Live right after this. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 